Hey, Dave, do you remember when we were taking the bus across the river and over the giant bridge and we slowed down and we all of a sudden saw a bunch of car wrecks up ahead of us? Do you remember that? Yeah, it was this really long bridge. It went between Angles and Saratov uh, across the Volga River. And, uh, and yeah, all the traffic slowed down. All these cars had crashed. Of course, when you think about Russia and think of car wrecks, you probably think of ice and snow. Maybe there was this crazy snowstorm and people couldn't see. Yeah. But uh, the, the actual reason for all those car wrecks on the bridge is because that bridge had a pedestrian walkway and a lot of the Russian girls were walking across that walkway in their bikinis. And the male <laughs> drivers are looking at these beautiful girls in bikinis and losing control of the wheel and crashing their car. When we moved to Russia in 2003, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. And he stands in front of me, totally naked, and he says, David, I am going to beat myself now. It wasn't always easy. So, like, literally the entire time I've been drinking the tap water, I've been drinking corpse water. We faced plenty of challenges. The guy made me grab a shovel, and he told me to walk. I think somebody put a curse on me. What? It was a very different world from where we had grown up. And then she said, have you tried the Russian prostitutes? <laughs> She looked at us, smiled, and said, Erotica, yes. But through it all, we found a country with a proud and inspiring history. But in Russia, you've got 20 million people were killed defending Russia. Mm. Just fighting to the last man and woman. Rich in culture and tradition. There's this ancient shaman tradition, and the word shaman actually comes from the Evenk language. A country that would change us in a permanent way. And it's just, it's the taste of a familiarity now. It's, it's yeah. nostalgia. Like, Russia really became part of who we are. I'm Grant. And I'm David. Welcome to Season 3 of To Russia With Love. Welcome to our first episode of Season 3 of To Russia With Love. And in this episode, we're talking about the cold. Uy, maros, maros. We're talking about this, probably the one thing that people associate with Russia is the cold. They think of ice and snow. There's all these stereotypes. Uh, But in fact, that time that we saw all the car wrecks on the bridge, that was not in the winter at all. That was, what was it, June, July, I think? It was during one of the hot months. Yeah, for sure. And uh, there's probably some listeners out there who don't realize that there are hot months in Russia. Yeah. But uh, June and July were, that was when we had first moved there and it was extremely hot. And uh, so on that bridge, halfway across the bridge, you remember there was that little island. Yeah. And I think the the support piling of the bridge actually went onto that island. And so at some point they had built a staircase going down to the island. And so on that island, there were, there were beaches. So during the summertime, tons of young people would go and they'd hang out on the island in their swimsuits. They'd swim in the river. And so all these all these beautiful young Russian ladies are walking across the bridge to get to the island. And, and all these dudes driving their car, they couldn't stop staring. And so they just keep on crashing their cars into the, the side of the bridge. Yeah, I, I remember that, that was that was kind of surreal. But um, you, you mentioned earlier, oftentimes when people think about Russia, they think about the cold. Before we moved out there, uh, the three things that I thought about Russia was vodka, bears, and snow. Right. 
and when we got there, we realized, you know, it's not all Russia is not just about those. That's that that's boiling it down to very few stereotypical ideas. But um, but uh, but there was times of there where it was cold, but there was times where it was warm. Um, I remember when we you bought a T-shirt about one of those stereotypes, didn't? Oh you? yeah, yeah. In Moscow, I think. Yeah, it, at the um, actually two of those ter- stereotypes kind of came came up. Uh, in that in that tourist market that we went to in Moscow, there was a T-shirt that I bought for my brother, and it said something like, "I've been to Russia and there are no bears," which <laughs> which actually wasn't true because we actually did see a bear in that same market. There was a bear that was <laughs> that's in right. captivity. Yeah, people could take pictures with it and all that. But we realized that uh, that there was more to Russia than just vodka, bears, and snow, even though it does get cold. Uh, the win- in the winter time, uh, a lot of Russia is very cold, but there are other times during the year where things get really hot, and we found that out pretty quickly. Yeah, a, a lot of people have this idea of Russia as just, it's like, they think it's like Narnia when the White Witch is in charge. Like, it's always winter. You, you think about the tundra, right? The Yeah, the permafrost parts of the tundra way up north, which even Siberia, most of Siberia is not tundra, right? That's just a little strip toward the north of it. Well, it's not, it's not, uh, yeah, and it's not always frozen. You know, there's parts that freeze, but then they thaw out and all of that. Yeah, and so, and we were actually considerably south of, of Moscow and St. Petersburg, which is where most people yeah. go. Um, but it gets, it gets hot there in the summertime too. We saw young kids, we'd see them swimming in the fountain in Moscow one day in the summertime. Yeah, we might have actually seen my wife swimming in there. I don't know if she ever took a dip in the fountain <laughs> with all the, the kids. You're going to have to ask her. Yeah, I'll have to check on that. She was there at that time. So I like to imagine that maybe she was jumping off of that horse statue into the water. <laughs> that love at first sight yeah. once you saw her <laughs> swimming in that fountain. But yeah, when we moved there, we we moved in the spring in April, I think around that time, March or April. Late April because we, we were there just in time for the May Day parade. Ah, yes. All the, all the old timer the hardcore communist party old timers had a parade oh, yeah. through angles yeah that was that was when we were still in the hotel <laughs> yeah but it was spring so so there wasn't any snow on the ground uh things were warming up uh we came to realize that it was going to get hot we were prepared for it to be cold we you know we thought that okay we're going to get there and it's going to be cold but we weren't really prepared for for summer and the the miserable heat that we were going to experience. And as we we found out a lot of the country's not really prepared for the heat. Yeah. Cuz that's not the <laughs> that's not on the top of your list of priorities. Yeah. Cuz the like heat you just kind of deal with it. You know, but it's not going to kill you. People just take all their clothes off really is what they do when it gets hot. Yeah. We would go visit people at their apartments and and people would answer the door in their underwear. <laughs> it was normal and I, the, I remember the first couple times we'd laugh, like, why, why would you take your clothes off, man? Then we started doing it ourselves around our apartment because it got so freaking hot. Yeah. And there's no air conditioning. Nothing is set up for the heat because it's not like Arizona or someplace where the heat is your main concern. I mean, in Russia, the bigger concern is the cold once once it comes. Yeah. So you you don't have AC. You just kind of buy a little cheap fan and and deal with it and take your clothes off. <laughs> that was our routine when we'd come home every day. Yeah, I remember walking in the door, and by the time we got to the bedroom, I, I at least had my shirt off, probably my pants, and that's just how we would spend the rest of the day in our home, in our underwear. Yeah, I think 
We might have done that with the Americans at one point when they came to visit us for the the rock concerts. Yeah. Like not even realizing what we were doing, they just they walked into our apartment with us <laughs> and we said, "Okay, we'll show you guys where you can sleep." And all of us are just stripping down naked. <laughs> yeah. And one of them was like, "Guys, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> why, why are you, t- are you taking your clothes yeah. off?" Yeah, the, yeah, the buildings weren't built for the heat. Um Yeah, I mean, the buildings have heating systems, but most of the places we stay, they didn't have air conditioning. No. Even a lot of the refrigerators in the stores that we would go to, they would just be a kind of a storage yeah. cabinet for the sodas. Yeah. Like they wouldn't be plugged in. You'd go, you'd be you'd be hot, sweaty and you really want a cold coke. And and you go to open up and and get it out and or they hand it to you from behind the counter and it's lukewarm and you're like, why don't you plug that in? And and they'd look at us like, well, we're not going to pay for electricity. What do you expect? <laughs> and I, I mean, we had this Californian taste of we're so used to our cold drinks in, yeah. in California. Yeah. That was not the taste in Russia. I mean, cold drinks in general. Yeah. People are used to, they were used to drinking, you know, water and soft drinks, which a lot of people just weren't into soft drinks. Yeah. They'd prefer a, a hot cup of tea. That's true. Even on a, a hot summer day, they'd, they'd drink hot tea. Yeah. Donya from the church, she explained to me that there is there's a theory that that actually cools you down. Mm. And I, I can't remember how it goes, but it, it sounded plausible. I think it had to do with sweating and how our bodies naturally have this built-in way to cool down, and that's through sweating. And so I think the idea was if it's hot out, you could drink a cup of tea and get even hotter and then start sweating and then hopefully like a breeze will come through and that'll blow over your body and that will cool you down. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't know if I quite believe that. <laughs> you know, I might prefer a uh, cold shower, which we would do there in the summer as well. Oh, that was that was so refreshing. Just get home and strip down and take a cold shower. Yeah. Individually. We, it wasn't all three of us together. No, not together. And sometimes it wasn't by choice either because – Remember in the summer, they turned off the, the hot water for right. like two months even. Yeah, because it was like, what's the point? Why do, you, why do you want hot water in the summer? Yeah, it's already hot. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the worst feeling in the world, though. If you were walking around Saratov and you're, you're sweaty and hot and you go to a store and you buy this bottle of water and then you, t- you grab it and it's warm and you open it and it's carbonated oh. and you hear that psh, yeah. and you just warm mineral water and you would just go, <laughs> son of a bitch like all i want is but there were places we figured out where to find cold drinks and even even ac remember that uh the place in saratov that had air conditioning yeah uh the cafe at the movie theater right they were the only place that would serve cold drinks and have air conditioning it was great in there we loved it not just cold drinks but ice you got ice with your drink yeah oh that was so nice (laughs) yeah we chatted with uh, a mormon missionary we met he was, I think he was the guy who was a little jaded by then with the whole the whole mission thing. Uh-huh. And he gave us a tip. He said, you know, when I get some downtime or if I can slip away from the other brothers, I'll, I'll go to that cafe. I get a Coke with ice and I sit right by the window that overlooks Prospect Kirova, uh-huh. which is that main the pedestrian main walkway. Yeah. And he would just sit there with his cold Coke and he'd watch all the beautiful girls walk by. And that was like <laughs> his guilty, his guilty pleasure oh, for man. a Mormon missionary. Wow. I wonder if he even got non-caffeinated coke or if he was totally breaking all the rules there (laughs) just a a maverick breaking all the rules and the other thing we had to deal with is the mosquitoes too which were gnarly just so many of them Mm. because right before the summer all that snow had melted and there there are still chunks of saratov and angles 
that are really swamp type climate. And you're, yeah. you know, the river, there's all these tributaries of the river. A bit of standing water. Yeah, tons of standing water. So we, like our first week in that apartment, Mama Nadia warned us about, uh, she said something about the Kamarov, which is the genitive plural of Kamar, which is mosquito. Mosquito. We didn't know that. And we heard this word Kamarov, Kamarov, and it sounded to us like she was saying cabron, the Spanish word cabron. Yeah. Which, <laughs> and so, which means? Yeah, which means like an asshole. <laughs> so... And those mosquitoes were. Oh, yeah. They were total cabrones. I couldn't stand those little cabrones. So we would uh, we learned how to buy the those tablets that you would burn or plug in to drive them off. And, and we'd sleep naked or nearly naked. So they're just biting us in really sensitive areas. With, and... the, with the windows open to try to get as much breeze as we could. And we didn't have screens on the windows. So, yeah, those those little buggers would come in and bite us all through the night. Yeah. I remember waking up. Either to either you or Murph at some point, I'd hear one of you go and like slap yourself and you go, friggin' cabrones, knock it off, cabrones. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've never really, uh, mosquitoes haven't really bothered me that much. So that was probably Murph. They probably liked his blood. They, they weren't as bad for me. Oh, they were, they were all over me too. They just every night. In the summer, we would go on visitations with Vitaly and he would walk us all around town out into the middle of nowhere outside of town. And uh, we would walk for miles and miles in the heat, and we would get to someone's home, and they would, uh, as an as a great host, would put the kettle on and make us some tea. And I remember just going, just being driven crazy. Like, can't you just give me some water? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that I remember that being in the heat. Eventually, things kind of cooled off a little bit when fall came around. Things started chilling out, and it, it life got a lot easier. Yeah, by, uh, you know, September, October, things start to cool down. I think the fall is my favorite season anywhere, but in Russia especially, it's really lovely. Yeah. Like, just, you get all the leaves changing, it's brisk and refreshing outside, but yeah. you don't need to, you know, dress up in any serious winter gear. Um, so it was really cool couple fall months. Yeah. Uh, but then we went to we went to Germany to renew our Russian visa in late October. Uh-huh. And we, yeah, we came back toward the end of October, right before Halloween. While we were in Germany, everything just froze over. Yeah. And so we had, we had this great time in Germany. We're just eating a bunch of German sausage and beer and meeting all these other Westerners and having, having a great time you know, speaking a bunch of English with people other than, other than the two of us, which was great because we were so sick of talking <laughs> to each other. Yeah. And we get back to Moscow and we land and look out the plane and everything is just white and it's covered in like a foot of snow. Yeah. I don't know about you, Grant, but I got this sense of foreboding when I saw that. I was I was like, oh, shit, it's really happening. This is <laughs> what we're in for for a long, long time. Yeah. In October, October with a big snow like what we had there in October, that's kind of a good sign to, to see that like, hey, this is going to be a, a long winter and a cold winter. And it was. It ended up being cold. Not to mention, right when we got back to Moscow from Germany, that was when we got the text about the skinheads who wanted to beat us up at the church. Oh yeah, right off so the right off is... the plane we get this text. <laughs> all this all this white stuff was out to get us. <laughs> yeah, falling from the sky and and wearing bomber jackets, just everything white was trying to kill us. Yeah. So yeah, November then the days really start to get shorter. And I remember, you know, we every week we would have meetings with our our leadership team from the youth group. They'd uh -huh. come over to to our our apartment in Angles. Yeah. And by the time, like, in into November, when the days are really getting shorter and it's really starting to get cold, 
I noticed that everyone just got really dark and pessimistic. <laughs> like nobody, nobody wanted to like nobody wanted to plan anything. Nobody thought it was worth trying to plan anything. Yeah. Like we would propose, and it would be simple stuff. Like we always did. Like, hey, okay, how about we start with a game and we sing a song at youth group this week? Yeah. And everyone would just be like, "No, you David." Yeah, they, they, I remember them being like, I don't know that I, I don't know if that's going to work or not. And we'd be like, what are you talking about? We've been doing this for weeks. Of course it works. We see it work all the time. And they, they would, they would just uh, crap on every idea that we had. There was definitely a difference there in November. We could see, we could see that in people. This dismal mood just comes over everybody. Yeah. I feel like everyone kind of goes into this, this personal hibernation you just sort of, you stop trying to do as Mm. much stuff as you usually do. You realize, okay, it's just not realistic to try to be productive during the winter. That's a really good way to put it, like a a personal hibernation. I mean, I know that it affected me and thinking about hibernation, I just wanted to sleep all the time, at least all during the day. Around that time, that was when my season of depression kind of hit in. Yeah, I was staying up at nighttime because I could talk with some friends in the States. I was missing home. I was missing friends. Um, and they were awake at that time. Do you think that was when, when the homesickness like really hit in for you? Cause for Murph, it hit right away. He, he got yeah. depressed right away. Yeah. But was like November. Is that, is that when it really started to sink in and you just, just didn't want to be there? Yeah, I think so. I think I, I, I'm November and December. It really hit maybe being away from home, uh, for the holiday season, that might have been a part of it. I think the um, you know we were we were butting heads at that point with the Baptists, uh, the leadership of the yeah. church we were with. They were they weren't happy with us because of our club that we were doing with the youth. So it just felt like we were just everything was kind of crashing down. So that for me, yeah, that was when when it got from got bad for me. And the days were getting shorter. You know, we were we were in the south of Russia, but we were still pretty high north in in terms of the world. And so the days were getting shorter. We were getting less sun. It was snowing. It was raining. It was cold and wet. And that kind of thing affects people. I mean, I know now that that was, I'm pretty sure that was a big part of my depression. Sure. Being aware, being aware of that and knowing like that that happens, uh, seasonal affective disorder, that happens to people. Because we grew up in California where that doesn't really happen. Because, yeah. you know, even, even in the winter, you can go outside without a hat on in yeah. most of California. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I remember you were, yeah, you were in a, a dark place. You kept it together. Like personally, it's not like you were, you weren't morose yourself, but it was just, you were just sleeping all the time. <laughs> like just all day you'd be on, on the internet. <laughs> and sometimes that you'd have to, to reconnect. Cause we had those like cards that we would use to connect to the internet. Yeah. And it used the neighbor's phone line that, that Mama Nadia had passed over to us. Yeah. And so <laughs> one night you kept getting bumped off. And so you would reconnect and his phone would like do a little bring. <laughs> and it was like every 10 minutes, this guy's st- stupid phone is making this noise. And he was, he was so pissed. Yeah. I think he cut <laughs> our phone line after that. Yeah. Yeah. At some point he did. Yeah. The, and, and we didn't realize, we didn't know that we were, we were sharing the, the phone line with them and that it was ringing his phone whenever I would try to connect or get something on there. I probably kept it together out, you know, mostly outwardly, but I know, I know I was getting really cynical I, I had I had this idea that I wanted to screw things up as bad as possible, so that way the Baptists had no choice but to send me home. And I never really did that. 
I never did anything in that way. But, you know, when we would sneak beers into our apartment, I was kind of secretly hoping that, you know, somebody would see and they would send us home just because I wanted an excuse really? to get out of there. Yeah, it was, I was just depressed. I didn't know that was going through your mind. I was I was really trying to keep the beers hidden. I was, I was just trying to be a dishonest, bad missionary. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of I kept them hidden. I didn't really want to get in trouble, but there was it was kind of this secret secret thought that hey, maybe maybe if I do something bad enough, the the Baptists would kick me out because, you know, this country blows. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was our our catchphrase. It was from some Owen Wilson movie that had just come out before yeah. we left California. Yeah, that was our mantra. Yeah, anytime it would be nasty weather or something wouldn't wasn't going our way, we'd say that in that Owen Owen Wilson voice. This country blows. Eventually I did I did go home. You know, my grandfather died. That was probably that was like the maybe this is in bad taste, but the nail in the coffin. I just yeah. felt like I needed to be back home, needed to be with family in January, finally, I went back to the States. And that, my plan was to come back to Russia. But when I got to the States, I I think it hit me how depressed I was. And, and so it was better for me to stay. Yeah. And I think I think it was. I mean, I didn't I didn't realize how how bad things were for you at the time. Both of us were in our early 20s. We were immature kids. Yeah. Like, I don't know. We, we didn't have the wisdom ourselves to really have perspective on something like that and think, hey, I think. Yeah. I think Grant's really depressed. Like he really needs to just take a break from all this. And we probably didn't have the the self insight into our own selves to even be able to express that to each other. I mean, I was in I was still in missionary mode and I was just like like come on Grant, get it together. Get out of bed, and do your duty. I'm in charge of this <laughs> mission here. Well, yeah, and and as missionaries, there's a there's a self-flagellation when it comes to missions work and this feel that you've got to have it bad. It's got to be bad. You know, if we're not really doing God's work unless we're suffering. And so we probably bought into that yeah. too much. We just would suffer and, and get depressed. And well, I guess this is my life now. This is fine, <laughs> right. but it wasn't fine. And, and so we figured it, we figured out, you know, ways to, to get out of that. And my way to get out of it was to move and go back to California. <laughs> yeah. I always say the, the three professions that have, have so much mental illness and depression that goes untreated. It's military and cops and pastors and missionaries. Yeah, probably. Because all three groups, there's there's kind of this macho idea that the suffering is part of it and you, you're you not doing it right if you're not suffering. And then there's a lot of prejudice against getting help in all three of those groups. Yeah. On the religious side, it's that idea that, uh, no, I mean, God should be enough for you. Why would you need to go get counseling or talk to anybody? Yeah. You just need to pray more and read the Bible more and try harder. And that doesn't always work. So I bounced in uh in January, but what about you? How did you deal with the cold? How did you deal with this depression? What what went on uh, right after I left? It it really hit me after you left. You left in January and then I had a great month after that because I had to leave Russia to to renew my visa again. Yeah. And so in January I went to to Vienna, I hung out with my brother. Uh, tons of his friends from Point Loma, all these cool people from San Diego, and I just I just had a great time hanging out with with Californian people and telling them all my Russian adventures. And I stayed with them at their dorm. They had a sauna at their dorm and everything. Oh, nice. We'd go in the sauna. I'd go in there naked, and everybody would stare at me because I was the only naked guy in there. <laughs> 
It's a great time. And I, I traveled a bit also. That was when I did my, my Cradle of Civilization tour. Yeah. And I went to Egypt and Greece and uh, was in, in Austria. And so then after that, though, the fun ends and I have to go back to our apartment. And by by then it's February. And that's just like the worst. Yeah. There's a particular Ruski mat that people use to describe February, which uh, I won't repeat it, but it's the P word. Mm. And people say it all the time in February because <laughs> it just sucks. And so I, I get back and it was just like the, the coldest, the darkest time. And then I have to go back to this apartment that I had. It was it felt like a haunted apartment. Oh, yeah. I uh, I got back because you and Murph are, are gone. And, and for that, the nine months before that, you guys, you'd been my family, basically. Yeah. And then and then both of you are, are gone and I'm just in this empty apartment haunted with all these memories of the the two of you. It was just you and moving eyes at that point. Oh, moving eyes. He's, he messed with me so much. <laughs> he was always <laughs> that was his monster doll that my mom sent me. That, yeah, he was our ghost. Oh, yeah. It was always turning on by itself. Oh. So I was just sitting in that empty apartment. I read all the books you left behind, and I just got super nostalgic. My, my sister had just emailed me about reading Catcher in the Rye in high school and how she cried because it made her think of her brothers. and. Mm. And then I read it, and I cried, and I read your Chuck Palahniuk books, and <laughs> those may have contributed to my depression as well. Those are those are pretty dark, pretty dark books. That's the author of Fight Club. Yeah, and he he had one called Lullaby that that involved haunted houses, mm. and I I felt like man, I'm living in a haunted house right now. Yeah, yeah, I I, I got into a funk for a, a little bit there, but it was shortly after that I think something in my brain snapped into action, and I said. If I keep get down this route, I'm going to like I feel like I'm going to die out here. Yeah. And so something just clicked in that month of February and I really adapted to the culture. Yeah. When I was by the time it was like a sink or swim moment, I didn't have anybody else to speak English with. I didn't have you guys to to cling to anymore. And so all of a sudden in like a month everything just started making sense. My language got a lot more fluent. Mm-hmm. And everything just felt really normal and natural. Yeah. That was when I developed these really close friendships with the people that we knew from the English camp and from the church. And I got really close to Pastor Piotr's church. All of a sudden, Russia just started making sense to me. Yeah. And it felt like home. It turned into home turned in into that home. month. Yeah. And in February, like you've got something to look forward to because you had already gotten through April before. So you knew that was coming. You knew things were going to get warmer and brighter and more energy. This change that you had internally, the external and the internal changes kind of worked together. And then you just started thriving. Yeah, I just, I, I adapted. And when I did, I mean, it was still snowy and cold, but, but even that felt, there was something nice about being at a friend's house and having the, the, the snow and the wind outside the window and yeah. mother nature's trying to kill you outside, but, but <laughs> inside there's warmth and, and there's friends and, and it made you appreciate that. And I realized that it's it's not all depression and, and dark sadness. Yeah. And even like at a nationwide level, there's a lot of cool traditions in Russia related to the snow and the cold. Yeah. And some of the some of the really the most beautiful and happy traditions happen in the wintertime. Yeah. One of those traditions kind of comes around Christmas and the Orthodox Christmas, the early January, and that's uh Diet Moroz. Uncle Frost, and right. we talked a little bit about him. He's kind of the Santa Claus figure, but more, more the more of a a natural phenomenon kind of a character. I feel like he's closer to those old pagan roots of 
almost like a demigod of the force of nature. Yeah. Like this personification of nature. One of the things we did to prepare for the cold was we bought some clothes and some kind of cold gear out there. When we arrived, you know, we came from California, so we didn't have big jackets. We didn't have anything that would, would have gotten us through winter, which was probably fine because uh, the stuff that we could buy in Russia was more culturally appropriate and probably better for the cold than anything we would have bought in California. I remember packing my all my cold weather gear from California. Yeah. Or what I thought was cold weather gear. And it was such a joke, man. Yeah. It was like, once the once the cold set in, I was like, oh man, this is like trying to fight a hurricane with an umbrella. Yeah. This is a joke. I had a I had a thin like canvas Dickies jacket <laughs> that did nothing. But we eventually bought we eventually bought some uh leather jackets. That was what was in style there. And so I remember when we went out and got those, you had one version that was a little bit longer. Mine was a little bit shorter when we bought some boots to get us through the winter with fur inside there. I've never had anything with fur and I don't even know if this was a real fur, but I remember thinking like, oh man, these boots have fur inside of them. I never thought I would have something with fur. Right around like October, November, there was this moment where I stepped outside in my, my tennis shoes or whatever, normal shoes with, I think I was like using double socks by the time. Yeah. And I just walked across the, the street and I was, I could feel these icy fingers just going up into my feet from the ground. Yeah. And I was like, these shoes suck, man. I I need something more hardcore. Yeah. And waterproof. I went with Galia, that, uh, the, the English speaking girl that we, we had met and she took me to the market in Saratov and she got me the fur covered boots and she got me the wool socks that go over your normal socks. Oh yeah. Cause the wool is itch, itchy, of course. So you put normal socks and then wool socks over that. And it was a world of difference. Oh, it felt so good yeah. just to not have cold feet all of a sudden. Yeah. The cold style out there is different than what we're used to here in the States. And I mentioned the fur that was in my boots. There was so much fur out there. And it wasn't a yeah. a sign of status necessarily or a, you know, a fashion thing. Um, people wore fur to stay warm. One of the stereotypes that people have about Russians is is the fur cap. Do you remember those? Oh yeah, that I mean, people just call it a Russian hat in the states. I think, yeah, because that's that. Yeah, it's the what the guy, the little dancing man on Tetris. That's what he's wearing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of maybe like a Cossack style hat, but yeah, those um, people actually wore those people, and they were real fur, and it would come down over your ears and keep your head warm. And I remember seeing women walking with full on fur coats. I don't know what kind of fur it was. It was fur was not an issue out there. Kind of. It it is seems to be an issue here in the states, an animal rights thing. But out in Russia, you wore fur because it kept it you warm. A, it kept you alive. Yeah, it was a necessity. It was not a vanity thing. Yeah, yeah. And there is still there's still a lot of people in in parts of Siberia who they survive. Uh, that's how they make their living is fur trapping. Ah, they just go out and, and set a bunch of traps in the woods and trap. And I mean, this is such a wild area. It's uh, I don't think there's a danger of trapping these animals out of existence. Yeah. Because there's just so few so few humans and so much so much wilderness. Yeah. So one of the traditions in uh the wintertime uh that I really think is cool. I've never done it myself. Uh closest I came was in the banya at the camp. But this is called Grishenya. Grishenya. Mm. It's uh Epiphany. On the Christian calendar, that's the day when you celebrate when Jesus was baptized yeah. uh, by John the Baptist. Yeah. 
in the Jordan River. So on the Russian Orthodox calendar, Epiphany is celebrated on January 19th. And uh, the traditional Russian way to celebrate that, this holiday of baptism, which is what it's called in Russian, it's just called baptism, Grishenye. And the traditional celebration is you cut a hole in the ice and you jump into the freaking freezing cold water. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. It is so nuts, man. I don't know how anybody does that. In the winter in California, we used to jump in my grandparents' pool because they wouldn't heat it. Yeah. It would, it would get down to like the 40s Fahrenheit. But this is, this, we're talking actual freezing water in a river. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be thinking about the current under the ice. Like what if you dunk your head in too far and the current just takes you off and you just suffocate and drown and freeze all at the same time. I would be so scared. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some videos of that where where you there's like a a line of people. This is like I guess this is like the the high tech version cuz they'd had a place where there was they they built like steps down into the water and you go in, dip yourself in and then you climb out the other the other side on some other steps. And they had like thousands yeah. of people going through that during the day getting out and doing that and, and that's just nuts. I mean, you and I have both done the cold plunge at Voda Spa, the Russian spa in, in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, for like a, a couple seconds. I can, yeah, I can only do that just for a few seconds. And then I got have to immediately jump into the the warm pool to warm up. Right. A lot of people a lot of people do this every year, right? Yeah, I mean every year thousands of people do this. And there are doctors in Russia have said that there's a lot of benefits to that to that extreme cold. Hmm. And even even the traditions in the banya of going in the the extreme heat and then the extreme cold and back and forth, uh, they say it's really good for your immune system. It helps your cardiovascular system, your circulation. Okay, gets the blood going. Um, I I like to believe that that's true, because I don't want to think I'm hurting myself when I do it. <laughs> and I you do feel better afterwards. And uh, some some towns like Chelyabinsk in the Chelyabinsk region, which is farther east. There are just hundreds of dunkings of these ceremonies happening. Wow. And uh, according to this this article from Russian Life, great, great publication, by the way, in Chelyabinsk this year, there were over 40,000 people who participated. Wow. And then they had to b- have a big trash cleanup day the day after that because everybody left like their, their cups that they've been drinking vodka and beer out of. <laughs> they left all this trash lying around on the ice. <laughs> and so the, so the city, everyone came out to volunteer after to, to clean up. Wow. But that's uh, that's the Krishenye holiday. And uh, the closest we've come, I think you did this once in Tonya's banya at her house. Mm-hmm. Did uh, Were you there when we jumped into, she had the cold cold bath of water outside the banya? Yes. Did you and Murph get in on that? Yeah, I, re- I remember, I mean, I remember dipping into that when I was in Siberia with the banya. We ran and jumped into Lake Baikal, but it, obviously it wasn't. That's right. It was summertime. It wasn't frozen at the time, but it was still ridiculously cold. That's right. But then we also had when didn't we when we were at the English camp in January, didn't we do the banya and then run outside and like jump into the snow? Yeah, that's uh, that's the most extreme yeah. thing I've done. Yeah, that, is, <laughs> and that was pretty. It was intense. cool because a, a lot of a lot of the other counselors at the camp who were Russian they would not do that, and so it was it, it felt good to to be more Russian than the Russians. <laughs> Like to be more hardcore. Yeah. Like we would come in with snow on our inner hair and like still stuck to our bodies and people just stared at us. They were like, whoa, <laughs> you are, you are so much more hardcore than me. Yeah. That got us some major, major street cred. So this past, this past year, t- 2019 was an especially cold winter in Russia. 
And so you had some some freak weather circumstances, crazy stories coming out. One of those stories came from Saratov. In the town of Saratov, you remember that the circus was amazing there. We loved yeah. going to it. Yeah. So there was a, a camel that I think was part of the circus. Yeah, it would give children rides at the circus. Huh. And somebody had to use that camel to get their, their car out of the snow. <laughs> the car was <laughs> snuck in, stuck in a in a snow drift. And so that they brought the camel from the circus. And there's a video online of this, okay. this two-humped camel, and it's pull, pulling this white lada out of the snow. Wow. You can find that. That's on the Moscow Times, which is a really cool uh, – I discovered that after you left. It's a newspaper in English in Moscow. I think it's kind of the paper of record in the English language okay. for, for Russia. Cool. February 7th of last year, you can find that story of the camel pulling that car out of the ditch. <laughs> also related to animals and this, this really cold winter in Russia, in a town far away from Saratov, it was a town called uh, Rirkaipi is the name of the town in Siberia. The, this town, because of, I think, the freak weather conditions, it got taken over by polar bears. What? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, the town got taken over by polar bears. <laughs> like dozens of polar bears, they came in from the mountains and they just took it back. Like nature's taken this town back for itself. Wow. I think they were attracted by the garbage too. And Okay. Yeah. I mean, a lot of conservationists have said that it's it, it's related to climate change. I'm seeing this town on the map. It's really close to Alaska, actually, way up there, like far north, far east hmm. in Siberia. Yeah. And so probably attracted by the garbage and the changing conditions. The bears are confused. Yeah. And so there are over 50 bears came into this village and everyone just like stayed in their houses. They were like, well, shit, man, the bears took <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. We can't fight. You can't fight polar bears. And the interesting thing about that story is that uh, the, the camel story was only in the Moscow Times in English media. But this story, it's if you Google it, it's in like every major English language <laughs> news outlet, the BBC, the Guardian, NPR, because news out media, they love stories that fit stereotypes. The bears in Russia. And so this yeah. story, bears in Russia, they were like, perfect. We've got a story about bears on unicycles in Russia and vodka. Let's let's run it. This fits <laughs> every stereotype. Yeah. Well, speaking of bears in Russia, there's a Russian folk saying about bears in the winter and bears in the summer. You told me that once. Can you? Yeah, it's uh, it goes, in the summer, the bear eats. In the winter, he sucks his paw and dreams of summer. Mm. I love that that saying because it, it illustrates the this love affair that Russian people have with with the summer weather and the warmth. And you're that's when you're eating, you're happy. You go into the woods and you're outside. Yeah. Uh, a lot like when you lived in Sweden, you said people were oh, yeah. similar. Everyone just would soak up the sunshine, right? Yeah, where I lived in Sweden, it was similar. In the wintertime, it got dark and cold. And in November, I think we had eight hours total of sunlight. And that's that's because the days were getting shorter, but also because clouds were in the sky. So throughout the whole month of November, we only had eight hours where you could see the sun. Everybody yeah. would just long for the summertime. And then so in the spring, when things warmed up, people would would go out and strip down and and lay on the snow even, but soaking up as much sun as they could. And in the summers, the days were so long, people would go outside and just stay outside all day long, getting in the woods, yeah. enjoying nature, swimming. Yeah, I love I love how much that saying illustrates 
I actually didn't hear it when we were in Russia. I read it in Andrea Lee's book, Russian Journal, that we've mentioned before. Oh, yeah. Where she, she lived in the Soviet Union in, I think, uh, 1978 or so. Yeah. But yeah, in the winter, the bear, he sucks his paw and dreams of summer. And you just, just wait for it to get warm again. That same sentiment, there's a pop song that I really like. I, I really like the artist in general. She was popular when we lived there. And uh, the song is called Izuchai Minya. And the artist is Natalia Vitlitskaya. There's a phrase in that song that just that stuck with me ever since I heard it on the radio. Yeah. Because the first part of the song, it goes, during the winter, I love summertime. But when it's summer, I love winter. Yeah. And it's that whole, that nostalgic melancholy about just that, that poet's soul that's in Russians of, of waxing nostalgic about the beauty of things and the beauty of what you don't have and what you miss. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the summer when you're enjoying, you're hanging out with the girls in bikinis on that island in the Volga River, <laughs> you still, you're thinking, yeah, but you know, the winter's pretty cool. I, I, I really feel like going to the banya and then rubbing myself down with snow right now. Yeah. The first part of the song, it says, Zimu ya ljublu lietom. Lieta ya ljublu zimoi. I kagda tsibya nieto, yesho silnye maya ljubov. And when you are not with me, my love is even stronger for you when I don't have you around. Tishuliet I've been burning alive like this for a thousand years. I'm not afraid of the fire anymore. Mm. For, and you've known me for a thousand years and you still don't know me. Huh. So one of those very melancholy songs, which is, this is a modern pop song, but it, it taps into that melancholy feeling that you hear in a lot of the older Russian folk songs. Yeah, I bet that there's a lot of songs that have to do with cold and the weather. That seems to be a uh, a theme. We 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 don't have the stereotype of Russia being cold for no reason. So that there's that's got to pop up in in pop culture and literature and music all the time, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, there are tons of songs that that deal with the winter. I think the most emblematic one is that old traditional song, uh, "Oi, Maros, Maros." which uh, means, oh, frost, the frost. Let's take a listen to that. Frost, frost, do not freeze me, do not freeze me or my horse, do not freeze me or my horse, my white-maned horse, my white-maned horse, my wife, oh, she is a jealous woman, my wife, oh, she is a beautiful woman, she is waiting for me at home, she is waiting with sadness, I return home at sunset. I hug my wife and I water my horse. Oh, frost, frost, do not freeze me. Do not freeze me or my horse. Yeah, really beautiful, simple, simple lyrics, but this beautiful imagery of, of this guy just trying to get home 
and it's freezing outside and his wife, she never knows if he's going to make it through the storm. Yeah. And then finally that relief when he comes and he waters his horse and he hugs her and everything's yeah. okay. It's all right. Hmm. So that word moros, the frost, tell us, tell us more about that, Dave. Well, you know, I think that's a great time to do our language lesson for the day. So the word maros means frost, that's the noun. And uh, we're going to look at how that word uh, changes in a lot of other words that are derivative of it. Okay. So there are some verbs that, that you hear a lot in Russia, which is zamyorznuts and zamirzats, the verbs which mean to freeze or to freeze to death. Hmm. People use it in this hyperbolic fashion a lot. They will... Uh, I'm freezing or... Yeah, I'm freezing to death. Or usually if you come in out of the cold, a lot of people will say, David, zamyors, which is the past tense of, of did you freeze to death out there? <laughs> Or for a woman, okay. and so there's you can you can hear in there that word maroz goes through that permutation from maroz to zamyorznuts, zamirzats, and so those three consonants, the m, r, and z, are 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 preserved there. Now the condition of being frozen, that's zamirzanie, that's a weather, a meteorological condition. Huh. If you're saying that it's starting to get frosty outside, you would say zamarajivayet. Like literally, the the earth is freezing to death outside. Huh. Okay, <laughs> would be the translation. And then there's a term, a, a specific meteorological term, when there's a cold snap. Usually, this is like late spring or early fall when the days are usually warm, but there'll be this quick overnight freeze. Yeah, and that is called the the zamarzuk, which is written with all O's. But you remember from the other lesson, when the O doesn't have the emphasis in the word, it's pronounced more like an uh. Uh. It's zamarazak, but it's written zamorozok. Hmm. So all these different words derive from maroz. Uh, an interesting thing about that verb, though, is that includes this prefix, which I want to look at here, and that is za. Hmm. I remember when we first moved to Russia, I started coming across these prefixes because I, I never really studied grammar. I didn't have formal studies in Russian. We, The three of us had kind of gone through a book. Yeah, barely. Kind of half-assing it. I had a book that had the grammar stuff, and I would just bleep over it because it was boring to me. <laughs> I said, "Oh, all these grammatical declensions. I don't need those, do I? I can just, I can just skip over them. People will understand me." Turns out they won't if you don't use the declensions. <laughs> yeah. But then I started noticing, and I would go through the dictionary when we were there, and I noticed tons of words begin with these little morphemes, these little word chunks, hmm. and those are the prefixes. And once you figure out what they mean, that really helps you figure out the meaning of new words. And so za is one of those prefixes. Now, it has a lot of different meanings to it. If you add za to, you can add za to other verbs and it will, it will develop a new word depending on these meanings of za. So za, it means behind or beyond something. Hmm. Itzi is to go. So if you say zaitzi, it means to go behind something or to go beyond something. Hmm. It also means to begin doing something. So gavaritz is to speak, but if you say zagavaritz, it means to begin to speak, to start speaking. Okay. So with these words that you told us, zamorozok, zamorozak, does that mean it it goes past? It's it's even further than being frozen. It's 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 more frozen, or what is it? How does it fit with these words? Well, so there's another big meaning with that with za, and I think this is where uh, 
zamirznuts or zamirzats, those verbs come into play, okay. which it can be an, an, it can intensify an action. Hmm. It can make it ex- extreme to, to the point that it will just destroy or, or polish off or wipe out the, the object of the verb, the direct object. So chitats, chitats is to read, but if you say zachitats, it means to read a book, like when you finish off a book, or if you like totally read a book all the way to the end, you devour that book. Zachitats. Uh, also, sidzietz is to sit down. You remember that sidzies? Yeah. Yeah. And but if you say zasidzietsa, that means to sit down and stay quiet for a long time. Yeah. It's it's intense intensifying that action. Bumats is to think. If you say zadumats, it's that's to reflect and daydream and get lost in your thoughts. Hmm. So yeah, it's taking that maroz, the frost, and you're making it this extreme, so much frost that it's going to kill you. So I I only have one more question, and that is how does one offer a frosty Baltica to someone else? Ooh, can that, you, can uh, you do that? can you do that in Russian? Can you offer a frosty beer, a frosty beverage? It might be a thing. I've never heard it. I, okay. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. The word I would always hear is more derivative of of holodna, which yeah. is just cold. Cold, and uh, it uses a different a different prefix, which is pro pro. Ah. And so people, the ladies on the the train, they would go through offering beers and snacks. They would always say prochladnaya piva, prochladnaya piva, hmm. which is like nice. That would that was the way I always heard people describe a nice frosty chili beer. Yeah. Like, like a beer that's that's good and cold. Because my favorite beer in the world is at at the spa after heating up the whole time, going to the bar Ooh, yeah. and getting a frosted glass full of Balticata. That's the best. Baltica seven in a frosty glass. Oh, oh yeah. that's the best thing in the world. Oh. So I, I did a little bit of research. Um I wanted to see what is the coldest temperature recorded in Russia. I found this is just on the, the Guinness Book of World Records website. Uh, the lowest temperature in the whole northern hemisphere is recorded in Om- Omayakon. Um, it's a it's a small town in in the north of Russia. There's oh, 500 people. You you actually uh, mentioned this region. It's up near Alaska, so it's pretty close to where Alaska is. Oh yeah, in the Bering Strait area. Oymyakon. That's in the in the Yakutia region. Oymyakon. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, the the lowest temperature ever recorded outside of Antarctica was on February 6, 1933 and that was um -90 degrees Fahrenheit. Dude, that is cold. That that's not even talking about like wind chill or anything which would make it feel even colder than that. That's actually colder than Mars. The planet Mars rests around -80 degrees Fahrenheit. Dude, colder than Mars, man. That's balls cold. Yeah. What's really interesting about this is near that town, Oymikon, yeah. just in this last year, it got almost that cold again. It was at minus 88 degrees. And uh, there was a settlement just to the east called Omelon. Right. Just a few weeks after it got that low, it jumped up over 100 degrees to get to a nice, toasty 38.4 degrees. Wow. Um, Dude. That was the highest January temperature ever recorded, and that this comes from a Washington Post article that that talks about this area up near near the Bering Sea, which is kind of crazy. Wow. That kind of goes to show you, like 
even even in a place that's incredibly cold, uh, the temperature can fluctuate, you know, yeah. just like that. Up in that part of the world uh, near the Bering Sea, when we think about cold places in North America, we typically would think about like Eskimos right. living up in Alaska and uh, the higher northern parts of Canada and up into the Antarctic. There's indigenous communities in Russia that are up there as well. They're sometimes called the Siberian Yupkis or Siberian Yupiks or Yuits. Right. I don't know if this is the same ethnicity, but in Sarata, people would talk about the Chukchi people. That that might be a totally different ethnicity, hmm. but they would all... Or actually, it's the peninsula where I think the Yupik people live. The peninsula is called Chukchi, so... Maybe maybe, okay, it's, yeah. maybe they're using yeah. the, gram- the geographical term for it. Yeah. When you think back about the great migrations of humans throughout history, most people would say that North America was populated by um, people coming over that strait when there was a land bridge. Right. So it makes sense that the indigenous people in the northern part of the North America and the indigenous people in the northern part of Russia up there are you know somehow connected right and they and they live in similar ways um with like you had mentioned earlier in in Siberia trapping fur hunting whales and seals yeah when one of the times i had to go to the the russian baptist union in moscow to do process our our visa paperwork i was in there and they had some photos up on the wall from one of their missionaries that was out translating the bible and doing missionary stuff in like really far east siberia and they were yeah. with one of these ethnicities and the the photos, it just, they looked identical to photos I'd seen of native people from Northwestern North America, from Alaska and, yeah. and Canada's Northwest territories, yeah. just all the, the culture, the, the houses, the, the clothing, it just looked identical. There's similarities, but there can also be extreme uh, differences. You'd be interested in this, Dave. There's a, there's a group of people, they're sometimes called the Cyrenaic Eskimos. Okay who also live in that area, but their language is extinct. Okay. And it's basically mutually unintelligible with the neighboring Yupik languages. The the other people around there oh, wow. uh, have held on to their, their heritage through their language, um, but this language has kind of died out, and a part of that is because it's it's totally distinctive. Interesting. From the other ones around it. I'm going to have to read up on that. It might be one of those, there's a term called language isolates, which happens mm. in, all over the world. There are examples of this, and they can't always figure out why it happens, but there will be a language that develops right next to a bunch of other languages that are all related to each other. And then there'll just be this little island of this other language that has, it's totally different. Like one of yeah. the, the, one of the biggest examples is the Basque language of the Euskera, the mm. Basque region. That's part of, currently part of Spain and France and They've had an independence yeah. movement for a long time. Uh, but the Basque language, it's just this mystery for linguists because it is nothing like Spanish or French or any, even the, the more ancient Indo-European languages that are from around there. It just seems to have dropped out of nowhere. Yeah. When I was in Lake Baikal in Siberia, it was summertime, so it was nice and warm. Yeah. But it gets freezing there. I've seen pictures of of the lake uh, just covered in ice, and some of these are is some of the most beautiful pictures that I've ever seen. The ice is blue, like vibrant blue, wow. with the blue and the white from the snow. It's just amazing to see. I had a friend who told me that in the winter, when the lake ice is over, he does a some kind of um, 
skiing across it with a sail or with a like a kite that pulls him across the lake. Whoa! Because the wind blows so like really hard, and so you can catch catch the wind with a a sail, and it'll pull you across on your skis. No way! So it's like parasailing, but with with skis instead of water skis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's crazy. It's um, that's really interesting because one of the things that um people say that you need to do to survive the winter is to stay active. Right. There's another article from the Moscow Times that talks about how to deal with this seasonal affective disorder. I mentioned that earlier. I think that was something that I experienced um, in Russia that time, but I, I'm pretty sure I also experienced that in the last few years in Sweden where I was at. A member of the Moscow City Duma's healthcare committee told Muscovites to stay active, that that's one of the best ways to combat this depression is to get outside yeah. to interact with other people. That's that's one of the best sure. ways to to combat this disorder. Yeah, get the endorphins going. I remember one of the when when the winter was just setting in, one of the things that kept me sane was I got I had a membership at that little gym yeah. that was down the road from from our apartment. So I would go to that gym and I'd I'd pump the iron for a little bit, <laughs> get nice and swollen. It really helped get getting those endorphins and getting some exercise. And that gym was right oh, across yeah. the street from that awesome shawarma place, that shawarma place yeah. right, right there on our, our street. And so I would get my shawarma, and then I would walk back home, and I'd be eating it with my bare hands that had just been yeah. all over the gym equipment, and I didn't care. When we were doing the English camp, that was in the middle of January. Everything was frozen. It was cold. But that was one of the best weeks that we had out there, and a part of that was being active. You know, we were interacting with people, obviously, we talked about going in the banya and with these with some of the other leaders and we were doing things with kids um but we were staying active uh and that was a part of the routine that they had for that two weeks of camp where we were there you remember doing um the exercise out in the snow where we'd get up every morning and go out there yeah that was that was a great week just great people the people we we hung out with made some of the best friends that that they stayed friends with me for the rest of my time there, and they, yeah. they became some of the the closest friends I had. Uh, just a cool cool group of people, and uh, and yeah, every morning we would go out and do those morning exercises. <laughs> the this was would it would sound sexist to folks in the West, but the way they would do it is the boys would go outside and do their exercise in the snow, and just like real hardcore would do calisthenics yeah. in the snow with your you put on your winter coat. And then run laps around the field, and the <laughs> girls would stay inside and dance. And they would have they'd, they'd put on some pop music, and they'd do yeah. like these sexy dance moves inside. I remember getting getting a big laugh the first day when we woke up, and the the other leaders, the boy leaders, were like, "All right, every boy, we are going outside." And they would say this in English because it was English camp. All all of a, all the men go outside, yeah. and we are going to do our morning jerks. <laughs> You're gonna do what? Yeah, morning jerks. And we realized, okay, that's not the not the morning jerks that that we were thinking about. But they would go out and uh, and and it really was jerk is actually a pretty good word for it because the the way that they would move their body was very jerking their body around and s stretching and moving. <laughs> they showed us the English language textbook that they had. That this was some old Soviet book with phrases from I don't know, like yeah, like New Zealand in the nineteen sixties yeah. or something. And it said in English, like morning jerks. And uh, then in Russian, it was morning exercise yeah. was the phrase in Russian. Utrinaya zaryatka. 
I, I think I don't I don't know if that was an old word for calisthenics or something, but yeah, it must have been. But man, we made so many jokes about that with <laughs> in English yeah. to people. It's, All right, boys, get ready for your morning jerks. I, I do mine in the evening usually, but you know whatever. That's the system here. <laughs> but we we stayed active. We did we did that. We played capture the flag, the interaction that we had with people, and that was really one of the best weeks of our time out there that I can remember. Yeah, between between being active and just being with people and having that that healthy social life, going into the banya, and then there was that that one night that we hung out with the other counselors and we had a bottle of vodka and we all just shared it, and that it had yeah. been they hid it inside a snowbank all day long, so it was really nice <laughs> and chilly, just super cold. And then they brought it in. We went to the part of the the building that nobody was in, like the abandoned part of the dorms. And we just hung around with the guitar. We lit some candles and and drank the vodka and did all these different toasts. And, and like, people would declaim poetry that they had memorized. And we'd sing songs, like, just mm. very high culture kind of stuff for a bunch of young guys drinking vodka. It was, like, very, very yeah. classy. Um, but just the best just the best time in the world with the snow outside and the cold and you're in here with the warmth and with other people and that's that's what keeps you alive the frost wasn't able to touch us right all right well season three we're here uh we've enjoyed uh putting together these podcasts and we've enjoyed uh having all the interaction we have had with you here at Teresha with love thank you for all the um comments the the reviews one of the things we wanted to let you know about is we want to expand some of that community that we have with you we want to expand some of that and connect with you even further and because of that we've set up a patreon page where you can you can become uh partners with us members with us in, in helping us create to russia with love um, if you're interested in that, if you want to, if you want to connect even further with us, check out www.patreon.com backslash TRWL underscore podcast. We've got some, some great things we want to give to you uh, when you become uh, a, a partner with us. We want to offer you one of Dave's books that he's written, and we've got a whole a lot of other perks that we really think that you'll like. And just as a way to say thank you for sticking with us and and being a part of what we do here at To Russia With Love. We'll see you next time. Keep looking out for upcoming episodes. We're glad to be here with you. Today's episode of To Russia With Love was sponsored by a wool sock. If you do not wear it, you will die. <laughs> <laughs>